Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we're meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. Remain standing and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 as we continue just a slight detour from our series in Galatians, which we will return to next Lord's Day. And we are looking at Hebrews 12 verses 22 through 24 together. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. Hear the word of God. The writer of Hebrews writes, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that today as we enter into your presence, as you call us up into your presence, that you would grant us the faith to apprehend and to experience the gifts that you are giving to us right now from heaven, that you would grant to us to receive with open hands and to experience that which is truly happening as we gather together now. We ask that by your spirit, you would accomplish this through all of the means of grace today, we pray in Jesus' name and amen. You may be seated. So I just want to encourage you, if you were not here last Lord's Day, this is truly a part two. So if you were not here last Sunday, this is, you need part one. So I would encourage you to make use Uh, of our website and listen to uh, part one from last Lord's Day because we're going to jump right in to part two this morning. What we are looking to answer this morning and last week is simply this. What is truly happening when we gather right now for church? What is going on right now when we assemble as a church? What is waiting for us each Sunday when we gather together as God's people. And Hebrews 12 tells us that when we gather together right now, what is taking place is that we are being welcomed into and we are entering into a heavenly dramaturgy. We are entering into a heavenly drama that is taking place around the throne of God. And it is a liturgy that offers to us seven gifts to be received every week as we come together. And last week we looked at the first four of those gifts. The first gift being in verse 22, that when we gather together, we ascend to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, that by faith we enter into heaven itself. And when we get there this morning, we join gift number two, which is the angels who are already worshiping around the throne. They're already there, they're already in worship, they were there 
there before we got there, the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and we are together right now gathering with them and engaged in worship with them as they worship God. But we not only join the angels in heaven, we also join the church around the world, all around the world today. From the rising of the sun until it's going down, we join the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. We join with the church all around the world that gathers to worship the Lord on this very day, the Lord's day. And then fourthly, we come to God himself. We gather right now to come before the Lord himself, God himself, who is the judge of all. Now with all that being said, one of the things you guys might not know about is that your company of pastors, all five of us, meet every Tuesday night. And one of the things that happens on a, a Tuesday night in our pastor's meeting is that we spend a little bit of time affirming some good things that came out of the sermon on Sunday and the rest of the time hammering all of the things that the pastor should have done better than he did, okay? Um, and so if you're wondering if we get slammed for our sermon, we do. Every Tuesday night, whoever preaches comes in like a little sheepish knowing he's gonna get the appropriate hammer. Now that's a good thing for accountability's sake um, because we need that. We need to be held accountable to one another as your pastors. But the question came up on this past Tuesday night after last week's sermon about all the glory of everything that's taking place when we gather together for church today. This very good question came up, and that is, really? Like, in this gym, when I have to use the restroom and that door slams 55 times during the worship service and over here this kid is distracting me and I got this going on and I'm dragging my stuff in from the week and we're in a gymnasium and this is the backdrop here and all of that's going on and sometimes the sound is a little askew. You mean, you mean the, all of this is happening with this stuff that's taking place here that keeps us like pinned down? That's a, really, that's a really good question. That's on point for us. How is it that the transcendent, beautiful realities of Hebrews 12 come true inside of a gymnasium with all of the distractions that come with that? Part of the reason for that is that the issue is on point because we have been discipled, okay? We've been discipled by a lie what the philosopher Charles Taylor calls the imminent frame. We have been discipled by a lie that says we live in an entirely natural world, a material world where everything can be explained, everything can be measured, everything can be comprehended, and everything can be technologically mastered. We live in a closed, natural, material world that is off limits to the transcendent, it is off limits to the supernatural. There is no transcendent, there is no supernatural, there is no unseen realm. Reality is what you can see and what you can sense, and that is all there is. And even if you want to believe in the transcendent, and even if you want to believe in the supernatural, and even if you want to believe that the supernatural intervenes, the fact of the matter is we experience life all as an imminent frame anyway, even if you want it to be true. You see, that's a lie, 
And we've been discipled into that lie. We've come to live in the imminent frame and be comfortable in that frame apart from the transcendent and apart from the supernatural. And what ends up happening is this, this lie, the imminent frame, disciples us into a loss of wonder, a loss of mystery, a loss of providence, a loss of the supernatural, a loss of the transcendent beauty. The thing that thrills us now, literally, I watch it happen to the breaking of my heart. The thing that brings the most wonder and mystery and transcendent beauty to us is an inane doofus on a TikTok. That, I mean, I'm, I'm not lying, I, I, I watch it all the time. The thing that makes people laugh and smile and open up and experience whatever it is, is a shrunken screen with some TikTok, and that's what, we've, that's what our lives have been shrunk to. No wonder we're disconnected from transcendent realities. We live our lives thinking that everything is reduced to the dopamine rush of that tiny screen in front of us, and that's all the wonder that we know. And it's discipled us, think about it, it's discipled us away from the grandeur of the universe and creation to this. And that's where our hearts are, and that's where our minds are, and that's the width and breadth of our characters are shrunk to the size of our screens, and that screen is a discipling tool that keeps us in the imminent frame so that we wouldn't know the transcendent if it picked us up and threw us against the wall. It's hard to sense the transcendent and experience the supernatural. It seems superfluous to us. But as Hamlet said to Horatio after he had seen a ghost, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy, Horatio. You see, the transcendent truths that are being revealed to us in Hebrews 12, they are true, whether or not we experience them or not. They are true, whether or not we enjoy them or not. They are the gifts that God offers to us every time we gather on the Lord's Day, whether or not we receive them. You see, in the answer to receiving them, the answer to participating in these seven gifts, listen to me, church, the answer to receiving them is to come into this gathering every Lord's Day with an expectant faith. You see, it's not that the faith makes these things real. It's that the faith that we come expectantly with puts us in a posture to receive these seven gifts that are real. Faith is the expectation that the gift, it's the way in which we apprehend the gift. It's the way in which we experience these gifts. It's the way in which we receive these seven gifts, and it's the way in which we enjoy these seven gifts. Think about this. Think about why it is that the writer of Hebrews says this about faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We all love that definition, right? But faith is the conviction of something that we don't see with our eyes that only faith itself can apprehend, you see. But because our faith has been discipled to not expect the transcendent, to not anticipate the supernatural, 
to live in the imminent frame. We simply don't come expecting. We simply don't come to believe that God is going to act through the, this gathering right here to provide these seven gifts for us. And let me just say this again. The, our faith does not make these things real. The power is not in our faith to make these things real. These are real gifts that God gives to us that God himself has created. It's faith that receives these gifts with open hands and open hearts, you see. Faith is that which leads us to the transcendent and the supernatural. And that leads us to the fifth gift this morning. Look with me at verse 23. These are the gifts that God provides for us when we gather together. We not only ascend to Mount Zion and join the heavenly Jerusalem, we not only join the angels, we not only join the church around the world, and we not only uh, come before God, the judge of all, but right now, right now, as we are gathered together in worship right now, we are also joining not simply the angels in heaven, not simply the church around the world, but look at verse 23. See, we are also joining this and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You see, we join right now all of those who fought the good fight. We join all of those who finished the race. We join all of those who died in faith. We join right now around the heavenly throne. We join all of those who were justified in this life and, ha and have entered heaven's throne room at their death. We join right now every saint who has ever died from Adam to your loved ones who have died and who have been around the throne in heaven worshiping since their death. Right now, we are joining them around that throne and when we worship and when we receive the table and when we participate in the liturgy, we are joining in with and participating those who have gone before us in the faith, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. It was 12 years ago today that my grandfather died and entered into that very place. And this Lord's Day, we are joining him in what he has been doing for the past 12 years. My wife and I, when we were younger, we had a baby die. And we are joining today that baby who went before us into heaven's throne and your father who went before you in heaven's throne and all of your loved ones who went before you around the throne of heaven. Right now, we are joining the worship that they are participating in. There's a, there's a hymn that says that, that some of us grew up on. And the hymn is called The Church's One Foundation. Listen to it. The church on earth hath union with God the three in one and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. You see, when a believer dies in the Lord, they're welcomed into that worship service around the throne. And when we come to church on Sunday, we're welcomed in with what they're already doing and we join with them in what they already do. Now listen, I gotta say something here because this could be liable to confusion. So I wanna make sure this is clear. The Bible is very clear here that when we gather, we join the spirits of the righteous made perfect. But if you also know, if you read your Bible, you know that God is highly opposed to and he is firmly against communion with the dead. Okay? 
So someone does not go home today and think that what you heard this morning is you can go seek communion with the dead. That's not what this passage is teaching. Ask Saul how that worked out for him. Not so good. So let me just say this as upfront as I possibly can. What this passage is not teaching us, it is not teaching us communion with the dead, which the scriptures forbid. It is teaching us worship with the living. You see the difference? We are worshiping with the living, those who are alive around the throne of God, which means this, every Lord's Day, think about this, all of the saints who've ever been redeemed around the throne in heaven and all of the saints on earth from all around the world, we all meet together in heaven around the throne to worship the living God. See, that does not expand your view of what's happening right now in church. Does that open it up for you to recognize that this is something so much bigger than you and so much bigger than me and we are swept in to be a part of this and yes, that it is even taking place in the context of this very gym. We are joining those who've gone before us in the faith from Adam to the last saint who is just dying right now and entering that place. We are joining the worship that they themselves are a part of and it's beautiful. That's gift number five. Gift number six, verse 24a, and to Jesus. Beautiful. We not only come to all these other gifts, finally, the gift of Jesus. When we come together as a church, we ascend to the city of the living God, and Jesus is there. But notice what it says about Jesus. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. You see, church, the whole reason why any of this can take place, the whole reason why any of these gifts can be offered to us, the whole reason why we can enter into the throne room of heaven, the whole reason why any of this can take place at all is because Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant who has gone before us into that place. He has opened the heavenly places for us, and in him, as the mediator, we are welcome in the heavenly places. Amen? Jesus mediates that for us. Now, what does that mean for us? It means, that, and this is very important, it means that from heaven right now, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, he is mediating his heavenly inheritance to the church. We have come together today with open hands to receive from him. Look at verse 28. This is very important. This is, this is key. We don't come first and foremost to give. We come first and foremost to receive from the mediator of heaven and earth our inheritance right now to begin so that we can begin to distribute that inheritance out to a world that is desperate for what it is that only the church has. And so verse 28 of Hebrews 12 says, therefore let us be grateful for what? Receiving a kingdom. You don't bring the kingdom any more than you can bring a hurricane. We don't bring the kingdom. We don't build the kingdom. We receive the kingdom. And we participate in the kingdom. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us then offer to God acceptable worship. 
You see, we're here. Christ is mediating his kingdom from his throne in heaven, and we are receiving the gifts of the kingdom right now with open hands and open hearts so that we can take the gifts of the kingdom and administer those gifts, you see. But Jesus is the one who mediates this heavenly inheritance to us. But listen, Jesus is also the one who not only mediates the gifts of heaven to us, he also mediates our presence in heaven. You don't get to show up in heaven and just show up on your own. You show, we show up in heaven on our own and we're gonna be shown the door in some fire, like Nadab and Abihu. We, we, we show up in heaven because his presence is there. You see, he mediates our presence. And I just want you to see how this unfolds. Let's look at some verses. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter eight. Let's look at some verses. They're just such beautiful verses that talk about the entrance of Christ into the heavenly places and opening it up for us and representing us there and giving us gifts from there. Let's just look at a handful of them. Hebrews, let's start in Hebrews eight. Let's just survey a few of these beautiful passages. Hebrews eight, beginning in verse one. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So first we have a high priest, and where is he? He is seated on the throne of the universe. But notice verse two, notice what he's doing there. A minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. He's there not only to rule, Jesus is there as a minister. He's there as the minister of the new covenant. Where is he? He's in the heavenly place on the throne where we are gathered now, and he is there to minister to us. And look what gifts he gives to us. Look at chapter 9 and verse 12 and following. Chapter 9, verse 12 says this, He, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Notice verse 12, Jesus has entered once for all into the holy places with the final blood shed to open that place for us. And one of the things that he does for us from that place, listen to me church, one of the things he does for us from that place with that blood, according to verse 14, is he purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. One of the things and one of the reasons why you need to come on Sundays each Lord's Day is because every one of you come into this place with a conflicted, grieving conscience. 
Every one of you comes into this place and your conscience is working against you. Your conscience is telling you that you're not worthy. Your conscience is telling you that you're a sinner. Your conscience is telling you that you're unclean. Your conscience is telling you that you're dirty. Your conscience is telling you that you're unwelcome. Your conscience is telling you you shouldn't be here. Your conscience is telling you that you should stay away. And the blood of Christ is saying to your conscience, you are and always will be because of Christ and his blood. Welcome here and Christ cleans your conscience. Right? It's beautiful. But he does more. Look at verse 15 of chapter 9. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance. You see, he's administering the beginning of our inheritance as the mediator of this new covenant as we come and as we gather now. And look at verse 24. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things. But I love, look at this, I love this verse. Christ has entered into heaven itself. Why? Now to appear in the presence of God, watch this, on our behalf. Christ is in heaven, not only administering gifts to us from heaven, Christ is in heaven representing us to heaven. He is there on our behalf. He is there on our gathered behalf representing what it is that we offer and return to him. It's absolutely beautiful. That's why we don't have to approach him with fear and trepidation. That's why we can approach with boldness and confidence because Christ is there representing us. Listen, you will never need to approach heaven. We will never need to approach heaven on our own merits. Our merits that get us into heaven are already in heaven and they have a name and his name is Jesus. So you're never shut out. We're never unwelcome. The only way for us to be unwelcome in heaven would be for Jesus to vacate the premises. That's not happening. He is seated once for all, never to leave that seat until he comes again. Therefore, chapter 10, verse 19, look at it with me. Chapter 10, verse 19. This is, again, to all of us. This is a corporate thing. This is a covenantal thing. This is an assembly thing. Therefore, brothers, plural. These are ours. You, plurals. The church gathering. 1019. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, because 
because of Christ and because of what, we has, what he has done, we don't neglect to meet together, but rather we gather together and we enter and we draw near with a full assurance of faith and we have confidence to enter the very presence of God and heaven because of what Christ has accomplished for us. You see, it's all open. We are represented there. Everything we need is there waiting for us and Christ is ready there to give us all of the gifts that we need in order to be his kingdom people. It's beautiful. What happens when we gather together is nothing short of beautiful because of Jesus, our mediator. But notice also, go back to Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Notice also the connection in verse 24, okay? Notice this connection. This is very important. Because the writers of the Bible, they not only spell things out sometimes, they make allusions to things that they expect us to be able to see because of living inside the scriptures. So in verse 24, it says, we come not only to Jesus, but the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood. Notice those three things there that the writer of Hebrews puts there for us. The three things that he sets out for us. Jesus, new covenant, and blood. Now, if, new York, if you know your Bibles, Jesus, new covenant, and blood should be an immediate echo and allusion to you of the place where God gives the gifts of God from heaven to the people of God and that is at the Lord's table. These words here echo, listen church, these words here echo the words of institution. You've heard these words before, listen to them. Matthew 26, drink, for this is my blood of the covenant. Mark 14, taking the cup, Jesus said this is my blood of the covenant. Luke 22, Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 1 Corinthians 11:25, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You see what Jesus, what, what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he's given us an allusion and an echo to the very tangible scene place. Listen, to the very tangible scene place where the unseen things become seen and tangible for us to all of our senses. We see the table, we smell the table, we hear the table, we taste the table. The convergence of all of the unseen realities come to us through the word and the table. And when we come to the table, this is the administration of the gifts of God for the people of God so that you can go out and be the priests of God in the world of God. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. The seventh gift. Notice there's a little and there, these little ands that break these gifts up. It says, verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And then it says, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, church, listen, this is very important. Entry, the entry of, uh, of, our, of us together, the entry of all of us together as a congregation into the heavenly city, all of us as we gather together right now, our entrance 
culminates in access to this blood. Without this blood, we are barred from the other six gifts. Without the blood, these gifts remain in the cabinet behind lock and key. But what opens up all of these gifts to us is that finally we come to the blood, the blood of Christ. And look at the way the writer of Hebrews explains the blood of Christ. First he calls it the sprinkled blood, and then he calls it the speaking blood. The sprinkled blood and the speaking blood. Look at it. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, there's been a lot of sprinkling that's been going on in the book of Hebrews, and they're all water sprinklings, okay? That take us back to the water sprinklings in the book of Leviticus. And just as a little bit of a side note here, Hebrews is nothing less than a new covenant explanation of the book of Leviticus. Okay, they go, they go together, okay? So you read the book of Leviticus and you want to know what it means, read the book of Hebrews, and it'll tell you what the book of Leviticus means. All that the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's just unfolding the new covenant realities of what the book of Leviticus was pointing to all along. But he's pointing to that, the book of Leviticus, listen, is not just pointing to Christ. We cannot be reductionistic in that way. The, the book of Leviticus is not pointing to the naked Christ, it's pointing to the totus Christus, which means Christ and his bride, Christ and his church. It's very important that we start thinking this way because Christ does not want to be seen apart from his bride. And that's why there's always this linkage together. And so the whole book of Hebrews is about how these things are fulfilled in Christ and the church because the church is the bride of Christ. And so it's the totus Christus. And that's very, very important for us. But, but the blood, we often think of sprinkled blood, okay? But the thing that we have to understand is nowhere in the Bible is blood sprinkled on a people except for one place. So we just assume painting with the hyssop branch on the doorpost or sprinkling objects with blood is what's being talked about here. It's not what's being talked about here. The sprinkled blood here is a reference to a particular place in the book of Leviticus. It's very important for us to understand, okay? Only one time in the Bible is the, are the, is the blood sprinkled on people, and it's in Leviticus chapter 8 and Exodus chapter 29. And what you read in Exodus chapter uh, 29 and Leviticus chapter 8 is this. This is very important because we miss so much significance for who we are as a people when we don't see this. Later on when you have a chance, Unlike Jeremy right now, who's reading these passages and not listening to the sermon. Um, just got you. I caught you. Um, so, trust me, you can read them later. They're all there, all right? But what ha- this is the place in the Bible, in these passages, where blood is actually sprinkled on uh, Aaron and his sons. Okay, now listen. In the, in the Bible, the priests, listen, were the only people sprinkled with blood. There are lots of things sprinkled with blood. But the priests were the only people sprinkled with the blood of the sanctuary, and it was only on one occasion. And it happened on each of the seven days of their ordination 
to the priesthood. So of all the places in the Bible where sprinkled blood is, only one time is blood placed on people in a sprinkling way, and it's when the priests are undergoing their ordination to the priesthood every day for seven days because of new creation, they're being consecrated for holy service. That's the background for the sprinkled blood. So what that means for us as we come to the sprinkled blood, it means that we, listen, this is very important that you guys get this, we as a people who come to the sprinkled blood, this for us when we gather on the Lord's day is a renewal of our priestly ordination as a kingdom of priests in God's world. You see, by the end of the week, God knows that by the end of the week, you've forgotten that you're a priest, and you've forgotten that you're in a kingdom. You've forgotten those things. You've forgotten your identity. You've forgotten that that's who you are, and I've forgotten that's who I am, and we have forgotten that that's who we are. And so we come to the sprinkled blood every week because it's a renewal of our priestly ordination as a kingdom of priests in God's world because we so quickly forget our royal status and we so quickly forget our priestly calling. And so as we come to the sprinkled blood each week, we're renewed as a priesthood, you see. It's a renewal for us. And I, and I just want you guys to see how important this is, that this priesthood that we are, what we have been made by the blood of Christ, that all of us, the body of Christ, has been ordained as a kingdom of priests. I want you to see that this goes in two directions, okay? As priests, as a kingdom of priests, we minister to the world on God's behalf, and we minister to God on the world's behalf, okay? It goes in both directions. And the, one of the reasons why our witness is so anemic is because we don't live up to our royal status and we don't see ourselves as priests in both directions. And yet the passages in the scriptures that tell us this tell us that. Look, at, look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2 for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll look at the two places where this is explicit so that you can see the direction of this. And these are things we need to be renewed in every week because the drag and the pull of the imminent frame and the drag and the pull of the dragons that we fight and the drag and pull of the lies of the world want us, want our priesthood to be suffocated and our royal status to be exchanged for TikTok. 1 Peter 2, 9, look at what it says. But you, this is the church, you all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So we got that. We have a royal status and we have a priestly calling. But what's it for? What do we do as having the royal status? And what do we do with the priestly calling? Look at it. That, which is a hina clause, which is a purpose clause in the Greek, here's the purpose. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We, as a royal people, have a priestly calling 
to minister the excellencies of the light of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ to a world that is dead in darkness. That's what we are called to do, ministering as a priesthood out there. But then look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6 point us the other direction of our priestly calling, okay? Revelation 1, verse 5, this greeting from John, Revelation 1, 5 says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And by the way, when that was written, Nero was running the show, okay? So it's not as though they had the right to look out and say, well, Nero's running the show, so Jesus, you can't be the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus was saying, I am the ruler of the kings of the earth, and Nero thinks he's running the show. But that's a different sermon for a different time, in a different place, and not this morning. But look at what it says in the rest of the verse. To him who, now watch the connection of blood. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And what does the blood make us? And made us a kingdom priests. The blood makes us a kingdom priests. But look at the direction of the priesthood here. It's not to the world. It says kingdom priests to his God and Father. You see, we represent as a royal priesthood the excellencies of the light of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ to the world. And as a priesthood, we represent our calling to the Lord. And it's all purchased for us by the blood. And so when we gather, it's a renewal of our priestly calling so that we are reset, remembered, and renewed as who we are. And then I'll bring this to a close. The blood not only is a sprinkled blood, but back in Hebrews 12, the blood is a speaking blood. Let's look at what it says. Hebrews 12, 24, we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, Abel's blood was a speaking blood. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that Abel's blood According when God was speaking to Cain, he said, listen, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground for vengeance. That's what Abel's blood cries for. Abel's blood cries for vengeance. But here we have a better blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The gift that we receive when we gather together here on the Lord's Day as a church is we do not receive the gift of a blood that cries out from the ground for vengeance against us. But rather, we receive a blood that speaks not from the ground, but from heaven. A blood that speaks from heaven for pardon. A blood that speaks from heaven for approval. A blood that speaks from heaven for grace. A blood that speaks from heaven for cleansing. A blood that speaks from heaven for blessing a blood that speaks from heaven for life, and a blood that speaks from heaven for benediction 
over our life together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That is what the better blood speaks. It speaks a word of approval and pardon and grace to you. So what do we do? Two things. What do we, how, is our, what do we, how do we respond to this? We have seven gifts that are offered to us every Lord's day. How do we respond? Look at verse 25. Number one, listen. Listen. Look at what it says. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking from heaven. It's not your pastors that are speaking. It's not mere men that are speaking. It's Christ that is speaking through this service to you from heaven. So when you come listen to hear the voice of your shepherd speak to you. And then secondly, verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Let us come with gratitude. Let us come with open hands to receive the kingdom and the inheritance and let us return back to the Lord and grant to him the worship that is due his name, not only for the seven gifts that he gives to us, but for the hope and the promises that we have of a new heaven and a new earth and an inheritance that is secured for us in Jesus Christ. That's why you don't forsake the assembling of the church because these are the gifts that are given and received every Lord's day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, seal unto us your word. Grant unto us today to receive these gifts as we're about to receive them as we come to the table. In Jesus' name we pray and amen.